Why does Christianity refer to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as being one God? What's that all about? Is this doctrine based on scripture or reason or both? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcast.org starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Thursday, April the 30th of 2009, and as always, I am your host, Toby Logsdon, and welcome to our next lesson in our Knowing God series. And of course, the purpose of this series is to discuss what we know about God based on both Scripture and reason. So welcome. I'm so glad to have you guys here with us today. I want to remind you guys that it is best if you listen to these lessons in order. So if you haven't listened to every lesson leading up to this one, it might be best to go back and listen to these in order. But, you know, you're here, so you may as well listen and get what you can out of it. And if something doesn't make sense, uh, before you send in a question, and I am happy to take your questions, but before you send in a question, make sure you go back and listen to all the lessons, because a lot of the things that we talk about in this lesson uh, are things that we've already discussed or justified in our previous lessons in this series. So anyway, hope you guys are having a fantastic week. And you know what? I just want to say I hope you guys are all safe from this flu. I hope you guys are washing your hands plenty because uh, that's the way that the flu spreads most commonly. And uh, I do want you guys to know that I am praying for you. Yes, I am praying for all of you guys who listen. I'm praying for your safety. I'm praying for the safety and well-being of your families. And uh, really, I just pray that the Lord um, keeps you guys protected from this uh, this pandemic that's going on right now, uh, which is kind of weird. First time in my life that something like this has uh, has been going on. So it's a little bit scary. But at the same time, there's also some good in it because people are being confronted with their mortality. And when that happens first place they look is God. So if somebody's not right with God and they're facing the mortality, that's where they look. So anyway, real quick before we get started, I wanted to let you guys know that we are doing a promotion here on BibleStudyPodcast.org. For everybody who makes a tax-deductible donation of $50 or more between now and the end of May, you're going to get a copy of Conversational Evangelism by Norman and David Geisler. And if you, if you ask me, honestly, this is Dr. Geisler's best book since I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, which, you know, uh, is one of my favorite books of all times. That was a fantastic book, but this book is equally fantastic. It talks about why it's so tough to build bridges to people who uh, who are unbelievers and why our postmodern generation or this postmodern generation is having so much trouble understanding and accepting the gospel. And let me tell you one of the reasons this uh, this book is so fantastic, and that is because in the back it has an appendix of strategies for talking to people, different methods of training people to uh, to evangelize, and then it has a list of questions for you to ask people. It has a list of questions that you can ask atheists. It has questions for agnostics. It has questions for you to ask Muslims. It had, has questions for you to ask Hindus and Buddhists and, of course, somebody who's in the New Age movement as well. There are a lot of these questions which would pertain to them. So this is absolutely fantastic, having these kinds of questions to ask those people. 
So I would recommend this book probably above any other book right now besides the Bible itself. So everybody who makes a tax-deductible donation of $50 or more between now and the end of May is going to get a copy of this, because I really want you guys to get your hands on this book. So anyway, if you want to make a tax-deductible donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org, you can go to our website, and on the right-hand side, you'll see a support box, and you can do it through PayPal right there. Or if you need an address to send it to, just drop me an email, cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com, and I'll be happy to tell you where to send that. So anyway, let's go ahead and get started with today's lesson with a quick word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you again for the opportunity to learn more about you. And Lord, I just pray that right now, uh, all the stresses and anxieties that are going on in the world right now, whether it's the financial crisis or the pandemic with the swine flu uh, going around, Lord, I just pray that everybody would feel at ease and that we'd be able to concentrate on you. We love you, Lord, and we dedicate this time to you for your glory and so that we can become more like you as we learn more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, one of the things that sets Christianity apart from all these other world religions, or most other world religions and religious systems, is the fact that we affirm the unity of God. In other words, we reject any and every notion that more than one God exists. And this understanding of God, it's called monotheism, this understanding of God sets Judaism, Christianity, and Islam apart from polytheistic world religions, and those would be uh, religions which affirm that more than one God exists. Some religions even say that uh, an infinite number of gods exist. And in fact, this is one of the first things that I'll point to when I hear someone say that all religions are basically the same. You ever heard anybody say that? I'm sure you guys have. But this is one of the one of the foremost objections, one of the biggest objections that you'll hear from this postmodern generation is that all religions are basically the same. Well, you know, religion starts with a basic understanding of God. Whether that understanding is that there is one God, many gods, or no God, or no gods. So logically speaking, it's impossible for polytheism to have a correct and accurate understanding of God and for monotheism to be correct at the same time as well. And likewise, it's impossible for there to be no God, which uh, Buddhism and secular humanism both affirm. And yes, I do believe secular humanism uh, slash atheism would be considered a religion. In fact, the Supreme Court of the United States has ruled that atheism is a religion. But anyway, it's impossible for there to be no God and for there to be either a plurality of gods, you know, polytheism, or for there to be one God. You know, these views are all incompatible with each other. So are all religions basically the same? Of course not. Christianity affirms that there is only one God, and thus we have an understanding of God which tells us that he has absolute unity. So let's start by just making a a few quick distinctions. First of all, when we say that God has absolute unity, we mean that there is only one God. We also need to remember that God is simple. Remember, God is simple and indivisible. He doesn't have parts. And so therefore, when we speak of the Trinity, which is actually what we're going to be covering in our next lesson, we need to remember that we're not saying that there are three gods, which is what Muslims accuse Christians of believing. Rather, we're saying that there are three divine persons in the one God, the God who is absolutely one. Now, both scripture and reason, scripture and philosophy, both lead to the conclusion that there is only one God. You're thinking, wait a minute, philosophy affirms that there is one God? 
Yes. Logically speaking, there can only be one God. And we're going to get to that here in just a moment. But first, let's take a quick look at what Scripture reveals about God's unity. Well, starting with the very first verse of Scripture, we read that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, first verse of the Bible. Let's note that it doesn't say gods, nor does it say one of the gods or a god. It says God created the heavens and the earth. And every time we see God mentioned then, there's an implication of his oneness, his unity, right? Because it's all in the singular tense. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, we find one of the great verses which proclaims God's unity, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this is the same God who commands, You shall have no other gods before me, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. And note that it doesn't say before us. It refers to God in the first person, singular tense. And that's because there is no other God, which is what God proclaimed through the prophet Isaiah when he said, I am the first and I am the last apart from me, not us. There is no God. That's Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. Psalm 71, verse 22 says, To you I will sing praises with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. Holy One, not Holy Two, One. In Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 22, we read, Are there any among the idols of the nations who give rain, or can the heaven grant showers? Is it not you, O Lord, our God? Therefore we hope in you, for you are the one who has done all these things. The prophet Amos writes in Amos chapter 9, verse 5, The Lord God of hosts, the one who touches the land so that it melts. In the New Testament, Jesus quoted from the Old Testament as well. When asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, The most important is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength. Of course, that's from Mark chapter 12, verse 29. Uh, Paul also wrote of God's oneness. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, he wrote that, quote, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And there are a lot of ones in that passage, right? I mean, obviously, Paul is driving home the fact that God is one. He's driving home the unity of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, Paul writes, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So obviously, I mean, it can't get any more plain than this. Scripture does not leave room for any other view. There is one and only one God. Now, I had also told you that reason, logic philosophy, uh, that this stuff can lead us to understand that it's impossible for there to be more than one God. Well, how is that? Well, let's consider a few things based on some of the attributes of God that we've discussed. Well, first of all, we've discussed the fact that God is 
infinite. If God is infinite, then how can there be more than one, right? I mean, to have two infinite beings is impossible because it's impossible to multiply infinity by two. Yes, abstract mathematics and physics have formulas which make such a thing possible in theory, uh, but in reality, in practice, it's impossible to add to an infinite sequence. It's impossible to add to something which is infinite. So if it's impossible to add to something that's infinite, then it's also impossible to multiply that which is infinite. So therefore, we can't have two infinite gods. And so thus, because God is infinite, there cannot be more than one. Let's look at that another way. If there were two separate infinite gods, those two beings must differ in some sense. Otherwise, they would be one and the same being. So because God is supreme and infinite, he must be different from any and every other being. Nothing else can measure up to him. And so thus, God's infinite nature indicates that there is only one God. Hopefully that makes sense. Secondly, God is absolutely perfect, which is actually an attribute that we're going to be covering in the coming lessons. But being absolutely perfect, God lacks nothing. However, as Dr. Geisler notes in his book, in Systematic Theology, Volume 2, he says, quote, There cannot be two beings who are absolutely perfect. For to be two, they must differ. Otherwise, they would be the same. To differ, one would have to possess some perfection that the other lacked. However, the one that lacked some perfection would not be absolutely perfect. And so therefore, there can only be one being who is absolutely perfect. You guys follow me on that one? Now this is an important line of reasoning to remember. Uh, get this one down if you possibly can, especially if you're trying to go out and witness to uh, polytheists or tritheists, such as Mormons. So if you didn't catch this the first time, be sure to go back and go over it again. Or, of course, if you really want to get this stuff like on paper, uh, buy Dr. Geisler's book, uh, Norman Geisler, Systematic Theology, Volume 2, God and Creation. Uh, this is some good stuff to know uh, and to memorize for when you're talking to polytheists. So, therefore, what we've seen is that both scripture and logic affirm that there is only one God. And this offers a serious implication. That being that since it's only possible for there to be one God, any and every polytheistic religion is false. So, further, because there's only one God, tritheism is necessarily false. The belief that there are three gods rather than three persons in God. So, we completely reject tritheism, despite what Muslims say about what we believe. We reject tritheism. So, not surprisingly, Christianity has affirmed the unity of God since the very beginning of the church. And this is evident, first of all, uh, in who the church condemned as a heretic, Marcion. Marcion came up with one of the first heresies to be denounced in about year 144 when he taught that the God of the New Testament was a God of love and forgiveness and all those nice qualities that we love so much about him, and that this was distinct from the God of the Old Testament, who was more interested in wrath and legalism. And so thus, Marcion taught that there were two separate and distinct gods revealed in Scripture. So to do this, he actually had to reject certain books of the Bible outright, uh, actually including the entire Old Testament. So believe it or not, uh, you know, he, he was denounced as a heretic, but believe it or not, such a thing is still being taught, even in Christian universities. In fact, there was a professor at my college, which was a Christian college, who affirmed the teachings and theology of Marcionism. 
Nevertheless, Marcionism met fierce opposition by Christian thinkers and writers in the mid-2nd century and was immediately uh, rejected as a heresy. Marcionism was tossed out. Now, one of the great church fathers who denounced Marcionism was Tertullian, who wrote in the 3rd century that, quote, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are inseparable from each other. My assertion is that the Father is one, the Son is one, and the Spirit is one, and that they are all distinct from each other, end quote. Now, keep in mind that this was written by one of the people who was a key player among the theologians who developed the doctrine of the Trinity. Tertullian also wrote that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were, quote, one in essence, not one in person, end quote. Now, the following century, at the Council of Nicaea, this is moving up to the 4th century, actually, Christianity faced a threat from a group called Arians, who were teaching another heresy of Jesus not being fully God. That is the Arian heresy, that Jesus was not fully God. And so thus, the purpose of the Nicene Creed was to establish the doctrine of the Father and the Son being absolutely one in substance, nature, essence, although distinct in personhood. So while it said nothing of the Holy Spirit's relation to the Father and Son, uh, there was a theologian named Athanasius, who was one of the more significant figures who established the Nicene Creed, and he would go on to write uh, about the absolute oneness of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, establishing them as being one in substance, one in nature, one in essence, but different in personhood. Augustine would also write at length about the unity of God, writing, quote, this trinity is one God, and although it is a trinity, it is nonetheless simple, end quote. In discussing angels, he wrote that they, quote, know this word and the Father and their Holy Spirit, understanding that this trinity is indivisible and that each of the persons is substantial, although there are not three gods, but only one, end quote. Anselm, he would write that, quote, all three together are one supreme essence. Uh, he said something similar later on. He said all three together are one and the same supreme essence, end quote. And of course, Thomas Aquinas wrote uh, extensively about this. He's actually the one who established the logical reasoning behind there being only one God. The same logic that we were just talking about a few minutes ago. Yeah, this is from Thomas Aquinas. He wrote that, quote, If there were any inequality in the divine persons, they would not have the same essence. And thus, the three persons would not be one God, which is impossible. We must, therefore, admit equality among the divine persons, end quote. And he would continue writing later on that, quote, God is one in the supreme degree, end quote. And further, he wrote that, quote, if then many gods existed, they would necessarily differ from each other. Something, therefore, would belong to one which did not belong to the other. And if this were a privation, one of them would not be absolutely perfect. But if it is a perfection, one of them would be without it. So it's impossible for many gods to exist, end quote. Martin Luther wrote that there are indeed three distinct persons, but only one God or a single Godhead, end quote. John Calvin wrote that, quote, when we profess to believe in one God, by the name God is understood the one simple essence, comprehending three persons or hypostases. And accordingly, whenever the name of God is used indefinitely, the Son and Spirit not less than the Father is meant, end quote. So, Obviously, you know, Christianity throughout its tradition, throughout its history, has always held to the oneness of God, the unity of God. 
Now, while there are several objections to God's unity, many of those objections actually relate to the triunity of God, or the the trinity of God, which is actually what we're going to be covering in our next lesson. So for those objections, make sure you come back for, uh, for next Uh, for our next lesson, which is kind of part two of this, because it flows naturally from uh, God's unity. Um, However, there is one very serious objection pertaining strictly to the unity of God, and that is uh, something like this. It goes something like this. The Hebrew term Elohim is actually in the plural tense, and sometimes God is recorded as having spoken in the plural tense. For example, in uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he says, let us create man in our image according to our likeness. And further, the Hebrew word echad implies a plurality. Now, this is a a very serious objection, but we do have a response to it. First of all, the many passages which refer to God as explicitly being one, or absolutely one, are proof that the term Elohim, even though that's plural, the term Elohim is not intended to signify a plurality of gods. Rather, it's customary in ancient writings to find a literary form called a regal plural or a royal plural, and this is the tense that royalty would commonly speak in, even though they alone were royalty. This isn't exclusive to uh, to Judaism or to Christianity. This is something that we find in a lot of places. We even find this in the Quran, which is strictly monotheistic, God speaking as a we. It's just a, uh, a regal plurality or a royal plurality. And further, yes, when we read the Lord our God is one, the Hebrew term for one is indicates a plurality, but that's a plurality that has unity within it. It's the same word that would be used for one cluster of grapes, for example. And actually, we find it used. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it's used in reference to the relationship between a man and his wife being of one flesh. So, obviously, this word indicates that there uh, cannot be more than one God, but it allows for there to be a plurality of divine persons within the one God, which is what Christianity affirms. And again, we're going to talk about that in our next lesson when we talk about the Trinity. So, hopefully this clears up uh, any misunderstandings, and actually, I think that this is just some good stuff to know. Like I said, in case you're talking to somebody who believes in a plurality of gods, uh, Mormons believe in a plurality of gods, and they are uh, prevalent in North America. You know, we find Mormons all over the place. So, if you're reaching out to them, and uh, and hopefully some of you are, you know, keep this stuff in mind, because this is good stuff to know. So, anyway, God bless you guys, and thank you so much for listening today. If you guys have any questions, you can always email me. Uh, my email is cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. Uh, for those of you who are on Facebook or MySpace, you can find me on there as well and communicate with me on there. And uh, actually, we can have some interaction on there, because we have some group discussions uh, now and then pertaining to lessons or doctrine or whatever, just uh, life in general. So anyway, I, I like that kind of thing. I like interacting with you guys. So anyway, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening today. I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. 
If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus.